Hey friends, welcome to Permission to be Seen. I'm your host, Megan Brown, and on this week's episode, we're going to be diving back into talking with Kayla Shade about mental health today. And on this episode, we're going to be really discussing shame and how it applies to her life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, so let's talk about shame. Ooh, okay. That's a really heavy subject, and that's something that I deal with and you deal with. And yeah. for those who don't know, I am a two-wing one on the Enneagram, and Kayla is a... Four-wing five. Yeah. Yeah. So shame all around. Yeah. <laughs> we love it. Well, and I don't... Like, is it is shame just something that we're born with? Like, we just immediately step into this world where pure for a hot second, and then it's like sh- just shame monsters. I don't know, but... I mean, like, honestly, kind of. Yeah, right? It feels like that. Because the things that you're taught when you're younger, mm-hmm. especially, like, talking about your body, mm-hmm. like, yeah, covering it up and, you know, making, and, you know, yeah. we could even relate that back to, like, the garden and mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. literally the first thing that came out of them eating from the tree was shame. Yeah. You know, so it's been in our world since, like, the dawn of time yeah that's true that is true so well there's so much like shame comes from so many different places too Mm -hmm. like there's the i'm not good enough Mm -hmm. i'm bad i'm wrong there's a like shame in relationships there's just like i don't even know how to explain it really yeah But it's just like this deep ingrained sense of like, I am not enough. Like, I am bad. I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. Where do you feel like that narrative came came from for you? Gosh. I mean, I guess like my earliest feelings of shame probably did stem from like being bullied. Mm -hmm. Um, Which... I mean, bullied is the proper term. It was weird because (laughs) the school that I grew up in, like there were five or six of us at any given time in the same class Mm -hmm. from like preschool until eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And like, so I was friends with these people, but I was also bullied by some of them. So it was like this weird. Oh yeah. I had that too. Just weird stuff where it's mm. like, wow, they did things that really hurt me. Like beat up on the playground hurt me yeah. <laughs> or like literally locked up in a cage in the back of a softball field, like hurt me. Mm. <laughs> but then we were also like friends yeah, and like actual so friends, weird. not like fake friends. Like Oh, we're hanging out. We're doing all this stuff. We're in the same church youth group. Like, it's just. Oh, yeah. No, my friends would like, my friends would like make like racist jokes, but we were friends. Yeah. And that is like the weirdest conundrum in the world. Like, how are your friends, the people who love you and care for you and your community and your support, also like weirdly backlash you? Exactly. Like, Like, how do you reconcile that? And also, like, reconciling the fact like like there are things that I've done that I'm not proud of mm-hmm. oh yeah to friends too so it's like I think the shame comes from okay these people hurt me and I feel that deeply because I feel like I'm not enough to them anymore but I've also hurt these people and so I'm a bad person so I don't deserve to feel hurt from when I'm being bullied mm-hmm. 
So it's just like this vicious shame cycle that's coming at you from all sides, right? And so you just grow up thinking, I'm not enough. And then you get to high school and you start dating. And then it's a whole different kind of shame as in who would ever want me? Yeah. Like I'm not enough for this person romantically. So nobody's ever going to think I'm enough. Pretty enough, smart enough, whatever. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, and it's like that is a part of our world. And I, do, and I talked about it a little bit on the last episode about how our world really favors busyness and that equates to importance. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're not doing enough? Well, then you're worthless. Oh, my And, gosh, like, where yes. does that come from in our world where, like, we think that we have to be working ourselves to death or we mm. have to be and it, you know obviously there's a part of it too coming from like being a woman in this world and mm-hmm. being told constantly you're not enough or you're too much or you know boys aren't gonna like you if you do this or you don't yeah. do that and constantly being told messages about your body and about your personality yes. and being a strong woman mm-hmm. is not acceptable or being angry or being um, yeah, that, okay. Anger is like a huge thing that like I was never allowed to feel as a kid. Yeah. No, you're never supposed to be anything aside from happy as a kid. No. Like, I can't, I feel like my parents did a pretty good job of letting me express emotion. Like, mm-hmm. just because of my trauma, I think it was just easier to talk totally. to my mom. Like it was fine, but it was just, yeah, anger is not one that I think I felt or I did feel a lot, but mm-hmm. just there was never a word for it, a voice to it. Like it was not okay to be angry or your anger was like sinful. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, I don't know. Anger is yeah. a hard one. It is. It really is. And I feel like, I think like now it's been more, my therapist really helped me because I would come into therapy and talk about my trauma and I'd be like, I'm really angry. Yeah. She's like, yeah, that's fine. You can be angry. And I'm like, oh, I can be angry. Okay, cool. Well, then I'm angry about this. And um, I've really been a huge advocate for allowing people to feel anger Mm. because I think, and I know we're going off on a rabbit trail, but um, I feel like people women especially, I think, have not been able... It's a negative emotion in society's eyes. Like, only boys are allowed to be angry. Yeah. And so I've really encouraged people. I'm like, no, be pissed. It's fine. Like, you can be upset. There's healthy ways to express it. Yeah. Don't lash out on people, but, like, you can be mad. Well, and it's stupid because, like, if a woman is angry, the first... The initial reaction is, like, oh, are you PMSing? Oh, like, yeah. Like, it's always, like, oh, she's on her period. Like, she's pissed. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, no, I'm no. pissed because I'm pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Let me be mad. Yeah. It's just... Because, like, you... Anger is the one emotion that you just don't want sitting. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want any of the negative emotions just chilling in you. But I think for me, anger is the one that like that breeds resentment. Oh, totally. And just makes you so unhappy with everything going on. Mm -hmm. And so like anger is the one thing where it's like you got to express it. Yeah. Like get it out. And I always tell people, listen, the root of anger is actually passion. Mm -hmm. It's a really good thing to have. Like if you are passionate about something or angry about something, it's like you want something to change. Yeah. Unless it's like totally like ridiculous and you're just angry over like something that is minute but yeah 
you know, how do you really judge that? Well, and usually if it is something minute and small, like there's usually a deeper source for that mm-hmm. anger than the small stuff. Like it's never just like anger because of something small happening. Yeah. And you're usually hurt. Yeah. Yeah. There's usually it's usually hurt that's underneath anger. Yep. Gosh. Mm-mm. Yeah. But yeah. Well, going back to shame. Anger breeds shame. Shame sometimes breeds anger. There we go. It does. Circle. It really does. Um, yeah. Wow. Mm. I definitely felt shame in like my relationship in previous. And yeah. Yeah. Like growing up too, it's just like, oh, I need to be smart enough and I need to make good grades. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of where my, um, like perfectionist tendencies come out of mm. where it's like I have to work so hard and I have to be so good yeah or like I'm a bad person yeah which is crazy yeah it's like crazy to have that mindset and um I don't know I just like always felt like I had to be perfect or I wasn't enough mm-hmm. and so I would like spend copious amounts of time on like projects at school or you know practicing dance or whatever like Mm -hmm. just to be good enough or good enough in society's eyes or whoever's eyes I'm trying to impress yeah and I struggle with that currently as a therapist like I truly like mm, I would say 75% of the time I really don't feel like I know what I'm doing Mm. and it's like okay I can read these books and I can read these articles and watch this video and get trained in this. Mm -hmm. But I realized at the end of the day, it's like, that's all great. And yeah, you should be, you know, well-educated in your career. Mm -hmm. But like, it just, it doesn't matter. I think like really people go to therapy, especially my clients because I work in addiction. They just need someone to listen to them. Yeah. They just need someone to sit there and affirm them and validate them. Yeah. And truly, that's like what I, that's the best thing that I've received out of therapy is just having someone to validate my feelings and remind me that I'm not crazy and that I'm not mm-hmm. like feeling this because, you know, I'm like, it's not abnormal thing that I'm feeling. It's yeah. a very valid thing that I'm feeling. Yeah. And so it's like just being able to sit with someone. And have that presence and just have them be there for you. Mm-hmm. So healing. Yeah. Just to have that unbiased person there who is like paid to listen to you. Just yeah. it, it doesn't feel like a burden. No. <laughs> to yeah. sit there and tell them everything because it's their job to listen to that mm-hmm. and like have space for that. It's yeah. super nice. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. So what do you feel like you've learned from having experienced shame in your life? Hmm. Wow. I think, honestly, I've learned how deeply ingrained it's been in every decision that I've made. Mm. And also, I hate it, but shame is like a big reason as to why, like, I haven't written a song in ages. Like... Shame is the reason why I'm really bad at, like, starting projects. I get really good ideas. I just, I get really excited about something. 
but I'm never able to start a project mm. because I already know that's not going to be enough. Yeah. Because I'm not enough. Mm. And so shame is this constant struggle. Like I don't, it has not gone away. It's something that I'm like fighting every day. Um, and shame is a hard thing. I was a music major. And so that was really hard too. And especially when I like see other people's successes, I like, it makes me feel so bad. Like I'm excited for people that have found success, but Mm. I hate the feeling of just like, gosh, I'm not good enough for that. Mm. Like, I'm not special enough to do that. Like those kinds of things. So it like prevents you from even trying. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I already know the outcome is not going to be what I want it to be. Yeah. Or good enough or perfect enough. Like my standards are so high because I always feel like I have something to prove. Yeah. Right. And so I, yeah, I think, Shame was a little bit of an instigator as to why, like, after I graduated, I kind of just put music aside for a while because I just didn't want to feel that anymore. Mm. After four years, you know, of not only dealing with mental illness and battling that out constantly, but then getting this music degree where I'm also just always around people who are constantly going and going and going and striving and striving and striving and, like, attaining this and signing a publishing deal with that and like always by the looks of it achieving something yeah and I just after four years of that and feeling like not only that but that like I was not enough in that program yeah it's like crippling yeah it's like I'm I can't measure up to these people Mm. even though like the lies I'm telling myself right like oh yeah 100 percent you can't measure up to people like that because a you're all learning you're all in the same classes learning the same things and b you're all completely different like there's really no way to compete (laughs) because you all sound different yeah and it's just like there was still shame there though of like i'm never gonna be like these people and then you pile on the social anxiety yeah where you're just like why can't i talk to people and make connections the way that they can Mm. like why is networking so easy for them but it's so hard for me Mm. and then it's just it spirals and spirals out of control until it's like I just go numb and that still happens yeah and I'm still like nowhere where I had hoped to be in terms of like music in my life Mm. so that's really hard. That is really hard. And to some extent, music, like growing up, was a saving grace for me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, not all the time. Because there was also, on the flip side of that, my mom was a very talented musician, mm-hmm. choir director at the church, music teacher at the school that I went to. She was my music teacher from kindergarten through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Adding on top of that, that I was gifted in that area. And one of the few that was, like, I think that was a part of my being, like, set apart. And so I always carried with me that, 
like, yeah, I'm really good at this, but this is why people don't like me. It's because I'm good at this, mm. <laughs> which may or may not have been true, but I told myself that. Yeah. I mean, it probably wasn't true. Yeah. Right. You like, know? It probably wasn't. <laughs> but well, and then there was this other side of like this expectation that I was going to pursue this and do it and love it. And like I was put, I actually just talked to my therapist about this too. I don't know how we got on this topic, but there was an instance growing up where I was, um, my mom wanted me to be involved in a choir in the community. And she was talking to the organist at our church. They were good friends. And the organist was like, Hey, I know this woman that directs the premier youth choir in town out at the college. But the thing about this youth choir is, is that most of these kids have gone through like two years of like the preliminary choir yeah. before getting into the premier choir. And it's like this whole lengthy audition process, right? I like my mom pulled some strings with the organist. The organist pulled some strings and I got in to yeah. the premier choir, like the top kids choir. Yeah, <laughs> All of these kids had been in this thing for like years. They had auditioned. Mm. They'd gone through the ringer. And then this girl just shows up out of nowhere. They didn't see me at auditions. Like I wasn't. <laughs> you automatically know that I'm there because I was privileged. Like yeah. somebody pulled some strings somewhere and I'm there. And that sucked. And to be honest, I was so mad at my mom. And that was one of the one times in my life where we got into like a shouting mm. fight because I was like I don't want to go like I didn't earn this yeah. <laughs> I didn't earn my place there like I probably could have if I had been given the opportunity to audition but I wasn't I was just put there yeah and I didn't make friends in that group for like three years mm. like I went there and I was alone and I always blame my mom for that Cause I wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. And so like music has always been this like, yeah, it's a safe haven, but also it was a reason for a lot of like my anger and sadness and loneliness. Yeah. It's wild how your passions can kind of free you and also enslave you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they truly are like all consuming the yeah. good and the bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it followed me to college. Yeah. And you know, you like come to Nashville, you tell people you're coming yeah. to Nashville for music <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, she's gonna make it. Yeah. <laughs> Seven years in and I feel like I've moved like backwards in terms yeah. of like achieving music, which like to be fair, that's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like when you stop pursuing something in a town like Nashville, you are falling backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like at least. And you might be. So I think the shame of feeling like I've disappointed people as well mm. and have completely gone against people's expectations of what I should be doing now. Yeah. But the cool so. thing is about it all is like you don't have to be doing what people expect of you. Yeah. I'm a really big advocate for not really caring about what other people think. Mm -hmm. um, even though everybody cares what people think to an yes. extent. Like yeah. it's not something you can yes. escape. You're always like, you know, listening to people's opinions. Yeah. 
But, you know, I think it's important to have people in your corner who just support you in whatever avenue you do. Right. You know? Yeah. And don't shame you for not... Pers- like, listen, like, I was supposed to be a nursing major and, like, mm. told all my friends and family. I did and not then- know that. <laughs> really? Wow, no. Yeah. yeah, I didn't hear that. My Dang. junior year, I decided out of high school I was going to be a nursing major and, like, did, like, anatomy and physiology in mm. high school and, like, did the things I needed to kind of get into that... But, um, like, freshman year took bi- or, uh, general chemistry and, like, straight up almost failed it. Like, by the grace of God, I Dang. didn't. I remember, like, working, like, 10 to 15 hours a week and tutors. And it was, like, the amount of time I actually put into that class is mm. insane to me looking back. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, why did you get a C? Like... <laughs> <laughs> You worked yeah. so hard. You worked so hard. That's the hardest class you've ever oh, worked for. Yeah. But, and then I have literally midway through freshman year, my first semester, and I was like, I'm out. Like, this is not for me. Mm. So I'm going to undeclare. So yeah. I literally undeclared my freshman year, my Gosh. first two months in. How frightening was that? Oh, it was horrifying. Dang. Because I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was passionate about. Yeah. And like... To ask that of like eighteen year olds though, isn't oh that insane? God, it's so annoying. Be like, hey, at eighteen, what do you want to do for the rest out. of your life? Like, what do you want to study for the next four years that it's will like, plan the trajectory of your career? What? <laughs> it's like I don't know. I was also in middle school, eighth grade year. They came to us yes. and they told us to pick a path in high school. I'm like, yeah. I'm twelve. They literally had us picking colleges in eighth grade. Like, yes. what's your dream school? Where do you want to go? I was and like, we were like honey, I haven't even. I know. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, a story about that. I straight up said, Juilliard, we had this course in high school. It's like a seminar, but we called it Flex, <laughs> mm-hmm. Future Learning Experience. Mm-hmm. So for like 30 minutes in the middle of the day, we'd all meet with these cute little groups of the same people all four years of high school. It was great. I did not like most of the people in that class. So it was a lot of fun. Um, but the first freshman year, we had to do this workbook and all of the questions were like college oriented. Like, where do you want to go? What do you want to study? And I put Juilliard. Yeah. That was like my plan, my dream school. I was going to do it. I wanted to live in New York City. The goal was music theater, but like, who cares at this point? So I wrote that down and the teacher who came around, which I don't even, he was a biology teacher, but he's one of those teachers that like, he was an athletic coach and you have to be a teacher to coach in the school district. Mm -hmm. So like they all pick science and math for some reason, even though they're not good at it. Yes. (laughs) He was the worst science teacher in the world, but it's fine. Um, But he came around the class to like take a peek at everybody's papers. And he was like, Juilliard, like, are you sure? Like that's (gasps) really hard to get into. Like music isn't really the greatest path if you want to like, be well off in life like I it's really people. hard to make it in music i yeah. think you should maybe like pick a second option that's a little bit more like in reach and i was like i'm a freshman in high school let me dream yes <laughs> like it's it was stupid just the fact that they were a making you pick a college and a major as a freshman and b to then tell you like your major in college that you want to go to are unattainable. Like, what is that mind game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone told me that stupid. I think my sophomore year of college when I said I was going to be a psychology major. 
Like, I don't even know. I think I was like Mm -hmm. at a volunteer project, whatever. And I was telling this woman about like this total stranger about like, oh, yeah, I'm a psychology major. And she's like, that's not really like a good career outlook. And I was like, um, I'm sorry. Did I ask you your opinion? (laughs) Did I ask ask if like you thought that was a good career path? Let's be real. Being a teacher isn't really a great career path in America, but people do it anyways because we need teachers. We need psychologists. We need artists. Yes. It's like you like. Like, they're all valuable yeah and it's like yeah i may not yeah. be making a six-figure salary off of what yeah. i do but at least i love it and i'm right. passionate about it yeah not everybody wants six figures not everybody wants to be a surgeon yeah and or famous no, there's nothing like wrong with surgeons there's nothing wrong with any career path that we have mentioned here but <laughs> but it's like it's okay to be making <clears throat> you know a middle what do you what do you even like, call that like medium wage yeah medium wage and yeah. like be passionate about what you're doing and love yeah. it yeah i would say like i'd rather make a lower salary and love what i do yeah than make six oh, figures cool. and dread going to work 100%. every day of my life 100 percent. and also people who tend to make the most money like never have a chance to enjoy it because they're always working yes and I don't want that to be my life. <laughs> I want to travel and I want to yeah. explore and I want to. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go see the world oh, and yeah. then, you know, be stuck in an office. Amen. Or sister. somewhere for 60 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. Priorities. I don't know. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get out. See the yeah. world. Yeah. Okay, cool. So do you feel like the social anxiety that you experienced in college played into your dating and then the shame around that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe not even like the social anxiety playing into that. Shame 100% around dating. Well, and the social anxiety plays into it because I was just so terrified. And the shame was why I had social anxiety in the first place. Okay, so talk about that more. Yeah. So, when, I mean, when you're ashamed of yourself and you think you're wrong or bad, or, like, I also have some, like, shame in my body. Like, I didn't love my body very mm-hmm. much in college and still, like, am working on that. But when you think about relationships and intimacy, like... If you're ashamed of your body, of who you are, like that's so hard Mm -hmm. to want to like open yourself up to dating yeah, at all. And I liked guys. Like I was like, yeah, I I could date. Like I want to date, but I just never could bring myself to do that. And I'm still working on that. I, it's been (laughs) 10 years since I've like, dated anybody Mm -hmm. and actually talking about shame in relationships I think the last relationship I had 10 years ago really like set off a shame spiral yeah I was gonna tell you or ask you to um kind of give a brief overview of that relationship (laughs) yeah we don't even have to make it brief let's go (laughs) (laughs) just kidding um I'll spare him um but Basically, um, 16, 
junior in high school. First boyfriend, second guy I dated. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, we dated for two months. Everything seemed to be going fine. There wasn't a lot of, like, substance in the relationship. It really was, like, your high school relationship where you just make out on the couch in the basement and watch movies. Like, that's what it was, right? (laughs) But it was, like, the first boyfriend, so it was just new and exciting. And you're like, ooh, this is fun. Like, I don't know. I don't know if either of us were, like, serious. But we were serious, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, basically... Two months into this, we plan a date for, I think it was like 7 p.m. I don't remember the specifics, but he doesn't show. Mm. And so I am sitting in my living room, which when I wait for people, I tend to just sit at the piano and play the piano. Um, 10 minutes pass, not there. 20 minutes, not there. Mm. 30 minutes, still not there. Like... It was like an hour before I finally texted him. I was like, hey, are you coming to pick me up? Like, are we still going on a date? Like, it's fine if not. Just making sure you're okay. Like, are we good? And then I get a text back that's like, hey, I don't think we should do this anymore. And Mm -hmm. that's it. That's it. So not only did he stand me up, he like broke up with me via text. Yeah. That sucks. That's so formative. Yeah. To feel like, because that then, A, I felt so disposable. Like, gosh, am I that easy to just throw away? Because mm. that felt easy. Like, that was the easiest route he could have taken. So I was easy to throw away. Mm. I didn't matter. I wasn't good enough for him. Gosh, it, <laughs> a lot of things settled into me Mm -hmm. after that experience none of which were true but they felt true because of the way that it happened so that was really really hard to just feel like I wasn't enough like he didn't have the respect for me to come like break up with me face to face Mm -hmm. like He didn't care enough about me to, like, want to do that for me. So it was just, it was a mess. And I became a mess. And then I was just, I didn't want to date after that. Mm -hmm. And those are lies that I still tell myself. Like, what if I start dating again and those feelings come up? Like, I'm disposable. I'm not enough. Like... What if I'm the same kind of person that I was then? Like, am I going to be the same in relationship? Oh, gosh, I hope not. That is like such a lie. Right? (laughs) I've also had that. Because also, now that it's been 10 years since I've dated, like, I don't know who I'm going to be in that space. Like, am I going to resort back to that because that's what I know? Or am I going to be able to move forward? as like a healed whole person that I am now. (laughs) I think it's weirdly both. 
Yeah. And that's like not the answer that I think anyone really wants to hear. (laughs) You know, it's like you want to believe like everything is great. And yeah. But the thing about it is, is like those experiences do come back. And I think where you learn to grow and to be a different person is to take those experiences and not let them consume you, Mm -hmm. but grow from them and say like, okay, this is still affecting me. Let me do my work on it. Yeah. So that I can be a healthier person for my current really and that's something that I deal with presently it's like yeah okay my past experiences and the traumatic experiences I've had with relationships I don't want that to affect my current relationship mm-hmm. and I don't want to bring that to the table yeah. but it does happen mm-hmm. and it's like giving myself the grace and compassion to say that's okay yeah but you're not that 20 year old girl anymore yeah and you're not that 16 year old girl anymore yeah so it's like weirdly you hold my counselor likes to kind of do this whole like you hold two truths and they can be equally true Mm -hmm. one doesn't have to be more true than the other Mm -hmm. i can be a grown 25 almost 26 year old woman who has healed and moved on and been become a better and stronger person but i can also hold the fact that i was really hurt and that damaged me to an extent yeah and they're both true yeah wow i like that yeah, no, my therapist is a genius. Shut up, girl. <laughs> Shut up. She, like, changed my life. Yeah, because it is. It's true. Mm-hmm. You are both. Yeah. Yeah. So the world of dating. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> Scary. Mm-hmm. But um, not to move too far ahead, because I know you were going to ask me about this anyways. Tee-hee. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> About Northern Ireland and our experiences there. This kind of ties in because the whole takeaway kind of after what is called a theotherapy for the listeners. um, Oh, pause. Okay. So we went to (laughs) Northern Ireland on a missions trip with Given Ministry. Shout out to them. Yeah. um, Amazing. To serve the people in the church that we worked with and we did. Uh, play therapy with the kids and we got to renovate their counseling center and then we also got to explore the land and kind of work closely with the church um yeah yeah their parting gift to us was to do something called the dealing yeah it was awful. which <laughs> was <laughs> so gosh man i want to go back to northern ireland again just to experience it without being like raw and just open the entire yeah. time Gosh. Anyways, but their parting gift, it's, wasn't it like started in Northern Ireland? Like they're kind of the frontier of this practice. Yeah, I think so. So basically it's (laughs) using theology as the basis foundation for therapy practices. And it honestly is very similar to kind of some of the energy work that I've done with Mm -hmm. my therapist of like visualization. Yeah. Um, but basically, I had a massive trauma from my past that this pastor in Northern Ireland immediately pulled out of me on the first night that we were there, like in group yeah, circle in the hotel lobby. We love you, John. We love you, John Ash. Um, he should I have said his full name? I don't it's know. fine. <laughs> I don't think he cares. <laughs> it's fine. If you have a lot of people coming your way for therapy, you know why. Um, but. He immediately picked it out of me this first night. And like, it's funny because I gave him a true answer, but kind of a BS answer because I knew what he was getting at when he asked me like, 
what he asked me what hurt you and i said bullying even though i knew like i knew that's not where he was going with it like i just i just had this deep feeling of like that's not that's not what he wants to hear there he's he's scary when people read your mail yeah because you're like how did you even know that how did you know yeah but yeah so (laughs) i finally shared the trauma and he was like yeah and now we like we talked about it and then i'm just that's it i'm flayed out for an entire week while we're trying to minister to kids and redo this (laughs) counseling space like the entire time i was just open and feeling all of that hurt and pain which is like crazy because i in the months leading up to it I feel like God had been priming me for that healing anyways. Because mm-hmm. I did I did a Bible study in Ruth. That was really great. But it pointed a lot to my shame and trauma and redemption. Um, which is something that I hadn't grasped. Gra- grasped. Uh, <laughs> 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 that like this person that did something so awful to me has the same saving grace that I have. Yeah. So I did a lot. That's (laughs) deep. Yeah. And isn't that like the suckiest thing to realize is like they're redeemed just as much as I am. Yeah. Like when I get to heaven, they are also going to be in heaven. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's a bummer sometimes when you think about it. Like, they did this horrible thing. (laughs) But they have the same redemption that I have. Yeah. So, hmm. I had already been going through this hard work and having these hard realizations about my experiences. And then we get to Northern Ireland. And this is kind of the culmination of that healing journey, right? So... Without knowing it, honestly. Um, But yeah, that entire week I was open, struggling with all of it. How many times did I cry? How many times did John make me cry? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That trip was just like tears. Gosh, all the time. Well, and he always, it only took one question ever. Like we were sitting at the table. We'd all split up into groups to go to brunch with different groups members of the church and things Mm -hmm. and john was in my group and it was me justin danielle and john's family and a couple other people and oh my gosh like i'm pretty sure he asked me have you always felt this lonely or have you always felt alone like something along those lines and i immediately started crying and i was like how does this man do this (laughs) like he we weren't even talking about that topic. Mm-hmm. It was just like the question before that was like, oh, what church do you go to? Like cute little get to know you questions. And then immediately, are you always this lonely? And it was just like, I immediately started crying. And so there was just constant being open and open and open and being made to feel like the most vulnerable that I'd ever felt in my life. Yeah. That trip like ripped me to shreds. Yeah. In the yeah. in the best way, but it was raw that whole thing. Well, days. and when you think about it, like we just met each other. Oh yeah, like 
two days before we left is what it felt like. I think it was a week that we met and got t-shirts and all of the information stuff. Yeah, but we literally met our whole team in the airport. Yeah. The day and we then left. The next day, they know like the deepest parts of my life and experiences. Gosh. Insane. And that only brought us closer, I think, but there was this moment where John pulled me aside and he was like, I'm going to make you like, you're going to do your dealing in front of the whole group and I'm going to ask them to judge you. And I was like, please, no, (laughs) but I'll do it. Cause like at this point I was like, yeah, I want, I just, I want to stop feeling like this. Like I want this to be my past. I don't want it to keep dictating my future. Um, And that's a whole part of theotherapy is like, this is the closure on this. Like, and you're saying to this person, like, I surrender, I forgive you, but no more. I think the most healing part of theotherapy is saying goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And like having you visualize Mm -hmm. now shut the door and walk away. Yeah. And that it's, yeah. And so I visualize this person Gosh, it was the most wild moment of my life. Visualizing, like visualizing this mm-hmm. person that hurt me so bad and caused so much trauma, so much of my anxiety, like so much. He just, everything from his actions, like mm-hmm. spiraled into what I have become. <laughs> um, and to just pull up his face in my mind. And be like, I can't do this anymore. I have to let you go. Yeah, like, honestly, it was like probably the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the most raw part of mm-hmm. the trip, like having to experience it from this side mm-hmm. and yeah. like watch it happen. But also testament of like that brought so much transformation and so much healing in your life. Oh, yeah. And you were literally a different human being because of it. Like, mm-hmm. for people who know Kayla to an extent, like, she is so sweet and so kind mm-hmm. and generous. But, like, before Ireland, like, in social settings, very quiet and very yeah. reserved. Yeah. And then, like, the Ireland trip really just changed her. And it really brought out, like, I always think about that moment I think about like you are now allowed to be so wild and free yeah in fullness yeah and you don't have to like hide yourself or hide or you know fade into the background like you are mm-hmm. allowed to be in the forefront of everything and to be yeah. your your fullest most authentic self yeah and that's incredible yeah no it was I'm I am a different person <laughs> post Ireland than I was before. Oh, same. Like, yeah. it's insane what has changed. Um, I was tying this into relationships too. Yeah. Because <laughs> after my dealing was over, Elaine came up to me mm-hmm. and she said, Gosh, I can't wait to meet your I can't wait to meet your husband. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? But it was this idea that like 
this has been what has been blocking you from wanting to pursue any close relationship with 100%. any man. Which to some extent I agree with. Like if you remove the social anxiety, you remove the shame, then yeah, that probably would have, that's, that's probably it. And so John was also saying like, you're going to want to pursue music again. Like this is going to unblock you basically from what you've been holding yourself back from and keeping at an arm's length away from yourself because you haven't felt like worthy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's still a lot of work to do in those arenas. Sure. But like that first like massive healing, dealing theotherapy session, like really began just another journey of, okay, I want more, like more God, more healing. Like, yeah, more. Absolutely. I think it's, and I think it's been so beautiful to be able to see that, to see you post Ireland and to now live with you and to hear you sing and create music is so, such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. Yeah. So again, we'd love to go back to Northern Ireland and not be so like flayed <laughs> for the entire okay, but, like, you may still be flayed you're right because like he'll poke at something else yeah for sure there's something else in there but i i wouldn't change it obviously and i actually think that being so open helped me to be more present in the moment mm. yeah because like when you're experiencing such deep like pain that's when i start to pay more attention to like the beautiful things around me Mm. outside of myself because the thing about too mental illness and the social anxiety and everything like I was always just so inward looking and always so just focused on how I was feeling and sleep honestly like so focused on myself that I wasn't seeing like all the beautiful things around me. And so when I started doing that, when I, after a couple of years of therapy, after graduating college, after just growing and honestly working in like sales, (laughs) starting to look outward and look at the beauty in other people and things and just going on hikes. Like nature has always been a huge part of my life Mm -hmm. and gosh, travel as well. And I think Iceland changed this for me too, was just experiencing wonder again mm-hmm. and looking and seeing beauty outside of myself so yeah. I could see it within myself. Yeah. Oh, oof. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. So. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, good. Well, thanks for talking yeah. And sharing your heart and going to those deep places. I think it's a, it I always tell nice. people it's a real gift to be able to be a part of that and to experience someone's story and to allow them to feel safe and comfortable enough to share that with yeah. me. Feels like the biggest gift. Well, thank you for yeah. listening. Of course. Well, and the last thing I always like to ask people is like, what are your favorite resources for mental health? Oh, gosh. I 
always turn to books. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think it has to be a book on mental illness or mental health. I think any book that can provide you with a a different perspective or insight into a different way of being is super important. 100%. Because it takes you outside of yourself and your own experiences. And not to say that it, you shouldn't use it as like a numbing or an avoidance practice. But if you're reading it as like, how can these words influence the way I see the world? Like, so when I read through books, I'm always like underlying or starring or like, and it's just letting the words like settle into you for a while Mm -hmm. and like feeling them out and thinking, okay, is this a lens that I could look at the world through while I'm experiencing these things to find more joy? And so I think just books. Yeah. For me. Do you have any favorite books? Gosh, do I? Okay. My favorite books are always the books that I just read. (laughs) Um, So this one is The Solace of Open Spaces by Gretel Ehrlich which is about her time as a rancher in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. It's not for everybody. If you're a fan of Mary Oliver poems, Mm -hmm. big on nature poetry, um, this is similar, but in the style of a novel or a novella. So it's not for everybody. It's okay. But it was really beautiful. And honestly, any kind of like, memoir I love memoirs because you get to see another person's story Mm -hmm. laid out before you like you get to see this led to this and this led to this and that honestly brings me so much peace yeah because I'm like okay everything in their lives led to something really great yeah totally and the same thing is true of my life wow that's so beautiful yeah big fan of memoirs yeah I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. And yeah. Good to hang out with you in a different way. <laughs> yeah. In a different house. In a different house <laughs> with microphones different in front topics, of us. But same topics. We talk about these things all the time. All the time. It's great. Yeah. Well, cool. good. Well, thanks, Megan. Yeah. Permission to be Seen podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, featuring Megan Brown and her wonderful guests. Music and production by me, Aaron Chase. We would love to hear from you. Please leave a five-star review and a comment anywhere that you're listening to this podcast. It would really help us out. Megan can also be reached on Instagram at permission to be seen. Thanks. Hey friends, also wanted to give a reminder that while I am a national certified counselor, With a master's in clinical mental health counseling, this podcast is not a replacement for your own mental health services. I encourage my listeners to seek out a therapist that is the right fit for themselves. I'm Megan Brown. You have permission to be seen. See you next week.